Good morning. Well, I can tell you that uh, it was particularly appropriate to sing that song, All Are Welcome, at the beginning. Uh, it's just a beautiful, embracing song. I certainly have felt welcome from the first moment uh, I was contacted to be here. Very, very welcoming place, and it was especially meaningful for me to be here at Cal Lutheran University. Uh, I grew up here in Thousand Oaks. Well, actually, I was born in New Jersey, near Newark. I normally don't admit that. <laughs> <coughs> But I, my family moved here to Thousand Oaks in 1960, and uh, I remember growing up in town that our town was very, very small. No one knew where it was, but I can tell you we all felt very, very proud that we had a college in our town. It was Cal Lutheran College back in those days. We just felt very, very proud of having this institute of higher learning uh, in, our, in our little village. Um, and we also liked the fact that the Dallas Cowboys came to, <laughs> to train here. <laughs> and I can tell you that, uh, that although Thousand Oaks was extremely happy and very welcoming of Cal Lutheran, um, it wasn't that way with Jesus in one of the readings that we just heard. And there's a contrast between these two readings, two short readings and a longer one, one where Jesus talks about, I have come to bring you life, I have come to bring you joy, life to the fullest, joy that is complete. And this is all presented to the rich young man in the Gospel of Mark. And the guy hears it and says, thank you very much, but no thank you, and turns and walks away. And that contrast between someone who has faith and has made all the difference in their life, and then you can be with someone in your class or in, your, in the cafeteria or even at home, and they just see it completely different. So what is it like to be a person of faith, whether it's a lot of faith or little faith, kind of living in a world where people can say thank you very much, but no thank you, and walk away? Well, I remember, this is a true story. My friend tells me, that, tells me this really happened, but he was gathered with a whole bunch of friends watching the Super Bowl. <clears throat> and uh, some of the kids, children, were sitting in front of the TV. And as happens, a commercial comes on, and it's a commercial for Disneyland. And, you know, big deal. But one of the kids jumped up and went crazy because saw a picture of Mickey Mouse on the screen and said, there's Mickey. We've got to go see Mickey. Let's go to Disneyland. Let's go. Let's go. And the, the, the enthusiasm of this little kid kind of permeated the room and captivated everyone, and they all looked at each other and said, well, let's do it. This kid's going crazy, so let's go. <clears throat> so, you know, of course, you have to take out a bank loan now to go to Disneyland. <laughs> so anyway, they decided on a date, you know, and they, they all drive down to the park, and they're all parking, and then they're walking towards the ticket booths, and they say, well, let's all divide up, find your shortest line, and we'll meet on the other side of the ticket booth, underneath the train. You know, there's a big kind of space there. So that's the plan. They all divide up. And the little guy is on the shoulders of one of the parents. And is just really excited. And they, they get their tickets. They get on the other side. They begin to, to, they begin to assemble. And lo and behold, around the corner comes Mickey. I mean, within a few minutes, they've just arrived. This kid's dream has come true. He, there's Mickey, so he goes nuts. Mickey, how are you? This is great. You know, and they're taking pictures and whatnot. So finally, they say, Let's, we're going to go into the park. And you know how you go through that tunnel? On either side, you go through like a little tunnel, and then you go through. So they start to move, and the kid goes crazy again and says, I don't want to go. No, no, I don't want to go. Well, the parents are all like, this was your idea. Well, they couldn't understand. He was just 
in, uh, very intense. I don't want to go. Don't I want to go? He's holding on tight. And one of the parents finally realized this little kid thought that front area was Disneyland. He thought that was the whole deal. And he didn't want to be going into any tunnel. He thought that front area was the park. And the parent said this, and it was really beautiful. It said, I had the indescribable experience of holding my child and seeing the eyes go from intense anger and fear to coming through the tunnel and all of a sudden as he saw just how big the magic kingdom was. And his eyes just got big and of course they had just had a spectacular day. That story which he told me kind of offhanded really kind of showing what kind of a silly kid the guy was really struck me as as a challenge to myself. Do I sometimes think that the world of faith is only this big? And am I going to allow Jesus to bring me into the larger abundance of what, of what faith can provide? So can I live that, those other two lines? I, will, I have come that you, have, that you might have life. But notice the way those lines go. I have come that you might have life, but life to the fullest. I have come that you might have joy, that your joy is complete. Not the joy in the life from the front part of Disneyland, but can we find out how big it is on the other side? And only one person can bring us there. So there's a certain kind of humility that we have to say, I may not see how big this gift of faith is, but I'm going to let the Lord bring me. So I think if we allow the Lord to kind of guide us forward to all the riches that faith can provide, and that happens only one way, and that happens through intense connection, always, always keeping our Lord in prayer. And I remember, you know, we, we uh, get transferred from churches to churches one time, and I was in Arcadia one time, which is right across the street from the racetrack, San Anita racetrack. So on Sunday morning, you know, <clears throat> we, can hear, we could hear Trevor Denman, you know, the, the, race, the race announcer, and I could, I could see people in the congregation going like this. <laughs> you know. <laughs> But there was also Arcadia Hospital was right there. And I was there one afternoon, and uh, the doorbell rings, and there's a guy standing there, and he goes, excuse me, but is your church open? Well, that's when I knew that he wasn't one of our members because our church is open. They all know it's open all day. So I said, certainly, sir, go on over. So he went over, and about 45 minutes later, I went over to get some stuff from the church, and I looked in the church, and I could see him there. And he was in the front pew like this just intense. I said, man, that guy's, that guy's good. He's, you know, he's praying. So about half an hour after that, the doorbell rings again. He comes over, and he says, uh, you know, I got to tell you, I'm not a member of your church. In fact, I'm not really religious. I haven't gone to church in 30, 35 years, but I just came across from Arcadia Methodist Hospital, and I, I have a sickness, and they say I'm going to die, and can I talk to you? I said, absolutely. So he came in, and we talked, but as we were talking, I was struck by what he said. Hasn't been to church in 35 years. Doesn't go to church. Doesn't pray. But for the last hour, he was like this, praying intensely for an hour. I would have a hard time doing that, and I'm a professional. You know? <laughs> he, <laughs> he was just intense. Now, why is that? Why was he able to do that? Because he was praying the absolute main 
in his life. He was praying the absolute center main thing. If you pray the main thing, you're never distracted. If you find yourself getting distracted in prayer, it's probably because you're not praying about what you should be praying about. You're praying about what someone says you should pray about or what's a nice thing to pray about or what some book said you should be praying about this. But what God wants to hear is what you, what's on your mind. If you always pray the main thing, you will never be distracted. So I tell people, before you pray, stop and take an inventory. What is the main thing? And there's never an inappropriate topic. Never. Are you praying about a parking space? Fine. Praying about what, a, what an idiot outfit that person has on? Or you don't like this person? Or you like this person? Or you like this class? It doesn't matter. God likes the connection. And if, if all day long we're having this conversation, if all day long we're having this conversation, that's how our Lord will be able to guide us further and further into that magic kingdom because we will have a continuing 24-hour or every waking moment hour connection with our Lord. We can't, he can't bring us into that magic kingdom if we're not connecting with him. We have to be on his shoulders, if you will. And the way that we are on his shoulders, the way he's holding us, happens through that, through that prayer. And the prayer, is the topic is up to you. It's, it's the main thing. It's what what uh, strikes you as important to, uh, to speak to our Lord about. Now, <clears throat> just one last thing. All these ideas come completely crashing to the ground and go out the window with one experience, and that is when we get hurt. If someone hurts our feelings, someone insults us, someone damages us in some way, all these wonderful feelings about Disneyland, the Magic Kingdom, what our Lord can do for us, go out the window. So I'm going to share with you a way that I promise you, if you understand this story, you will never get hurt again. You will never get hurt again. When I come back next week to tell you about it, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> this is a true story. Uh, I grew up here in Thousand Oaks, um, and I just couldn't finagle that summer job that was in an air-conditioned building. So my summer job for about seven years was I worked in the local lumber yards, just doing manual labor. I hated it, but it was, it was, there were a million kids here in Thousand Oaks and only so many jobs. So for seven years I worked in a lumber yard. They're both gone now. One, was, one is where Gardens of the World is now. Can you believe it? This beautiful garden, which was a place of pain when I was there, but now... <laughs> It's this beautiful garden. And then canal lumber, which is further uh, east. It was a wild place, canal lumber. It was, all, the people that worked there were very, very rough. This was during the Vietnam War. There were a lot of Vietnam vets, people shell-shocked, drug addicts, ex-cons, felons, people on the run from the law, and a seminarian. So it was a tough place. We only went by first names. It was common for the police to come in, take one of our employees, put him in the car, and drive away. And then the, the boss would come out and say, well, Ernie doesn't work here anymore. So it was, a, it was a very dangerous and rough place. And the word came down that uh, the yard was going to be sold and there was going to be a new owner. And when that happens psychologically, a lot of the tension, because there's going to be layoffs, a lot of the tension gets directed to the weakest, most recently hired kid. And I had been there for about five or six summers, so I was safe. 
but this kid that had just been hired, the other employees treated him so badly, insulted him, made fun of him, pushed him, embarrassed him in front of customers, stole from his orders so that his bo- the boss would be mad. I mean, anything to get this guy fired. What amazed me is he was perfectly calm, perfectly at peace, never got angry, never got revenge, never fought back, took it all calmly and peacefully. He's being insulted, hurt, and perfectly at peace. So I was intrigued. So I was working with him one time, and I said, look, i got to ask you, everybody here treats you so badly. They call you names, they insult you, they hurt you, they push you around. You never get mad. You never get angry. Doesn't it bother you that everyone treats you so badly? He said, no, not really. You see, I'm the son of the new owner. I said, really? Really? Remember, I am your closest personal friend. You know? <laughs> well, you know, if, look, if you're the son of the new owner, you know, your position is secure. Your, your job is safe. I mean, and if you're the son of the new owner, what do you care what other people say about you? You're perfectly play- safe. And if you have a special connection to the boss, see, if you have this special connection to God, What does it matter what other people say and do to you? Your position is safe. Your dignity comes from him, not the people who are insulting you. Your dignity comes from God. Your dignity is just fine. They can yap, 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 and do all that kind of stuff. It means nothing because you're yap, yap, yapping with God all day long. And if that connection is very solid and very strong, then you are safe and secure. Your dignity is intact no matter what happens. The rich young man walked away from Jesus, and it says Jesus was sad but looked at him with love. Why is that? Because all day long Jesus had this connection with his Father in heaven, and we can too, and that will keep our faith, the faith that we have within us. Not only will it keep it safe, strong, it will grow, and we will discover just how wide and beautiful is that magic kingdom that God has in store for us.